We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome everybody to episode 75. Shit, I fucking didn't. Yes, it's 75. 75. Episode 75 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. Uh, I am Luke. We're here with Ann Bean. Oh. It's been gone for... Yeah, I've been like doing stuff. I was yeah. in the woods. I was covered in bees. I wasn't covered in bees. <laughs> bees! <laughs> and Andy Pidell. So, I uh, got a little bit of shortened crew, but that's totally fine. Um, we uh, This episode, we're going to be talking about the first five issues, the first trade of Velvet. Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker. Ed Brubaker. And uh, comic Steve Epting. Wow. Yeah. That was... <laughs> those no. were words. Uh, All right, Scatman. Yes. So uh, this is the same creative team that did uh, a fairly epic run on Captain America, including the infamous uh, Winter Soldier storyline. And um, we will talk about that a little bit later. Um, I think uh, we've got some some things that... I, I know that there's some casting news in, in comic book TV shows and movies that I want to talk about um, because, yeah... Uh, Comics. So the the first one that I'm going to bring up, and I want to find out your guys' opinion, is that um, I don't know. So Noah Taylor was cast as as Callista in in Powers. I don't know who Noah Taylor is. He's apparently on. Um, Can you show me what his face looks like? Uh, he's the guy on the right, um, and hmm. he's in Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't know who he is, but oh, okay. So uh, okay, he looks the, pointy. The the other awesome one though is uh, Eddie Izzard is. <laughs> going to play one of the main villains. That uh, warms my heart. Yes, uh, that's going to be fantastic. So yeah, I, I'm I'm super happy about that piece of casting. I'm pleased with Dana Pilgrim's casting. Yes. And, yes. and I'm incredibly happy that Eddie Izzard is involved at all. I feel like he's perfect for that character, actually. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Eddie Izzard is... Eddie Izzard is one of the kind of actors that surprised me as an actor because, mm. like most people, I got into him from Comedy. his, you know, like Eddie Izzard as a transvestite routines, and then you more start than seeing him. Transvestite. Yeah, right. And uh, then you start seeing him in more serious stuff, and he's really uh-huh. fucking good. So like, wait, wait, he's talented. Yeah. And how have you? How much yes, things? Yeah, okay. okay, I can never tell sarcasm face because it's like your regular face. <laughs> it's, it's all beard all the time. All beard all the time. Uh, so a while back, I uh, retweeted a uh, gender presentation chart that would, somebody else had made that was filled with My Little Ponies. Um, <laughs> that set up like a D and D alignment chart, except in lieu of good, evil, and bad, you have um, masculine, androgynous, and feminine, and I wanted to make a non-My Little Pony version of this for the casual viewer that may not know that friendship is magic. Um, friendship is bullshit. And <laughs> I, uh, so I started going through it and I was like, well, maybe I'll pull celebrities or maybe I'll pull musicians because they're all over the place in terms of gender presentation. But then I was like, oh my God, I can make an entire chart out of just Eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. You can see it on my website at anbean.com. Um, the other... Two pieces of casting are the big ones. Uh, Retro Girl has been cast, and it's going to be played by Michelle Forbes, which I'm totally okay with. I know Michelle Forbes from Star Trek. Uh, she played Roe, Ensign Roe. The last piece of casting that I wanted to talk about, which was seemed, well, at least on Powers, which seemed really weird to me, was they cast Charlto Copley to play Christian Walker. Um, he's the guy from District 9. He played um, the main character in District 9. He was uh, Murdoch in A-Team. He was the bad guy in Elysium, and that seems like a strange piece of casting to me. It seems strange to me because when I think of Christian Walker, I think of sort of a large wall of flesh <laughs> uh, who, who has a personality and stuff. But it, I'm interested to see like what they're taking the character is based on a dude that I don't think is as big as Christian Walker is mm-hmm. in the comics. Yeah. The Meat Mountain, known as Christian Walker. <laughs> well, and that's, that's it's interesting to see them 
like even with the original casting when they had Jason Patrick in in the role, it seemed like I don't have any I have no qualms with Charlotte Copley's acting ability. Oh, no, he's a fantastic he's actor. Great. Um it's just strange when they start um I guess when it's like huge deviations from the artistic style. The f- artistic style and the physicality of the characters. Now, don't get me wrong, they race swapped Dina Pilgrim and yeah, But that wasn't a physicality change. Yeah. Um it was a it was a race swap, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean it, it I And the actress like looks the part. Yeah. I've never I don't think there's I don't think I would ever have a problem with race with a race swap for a character. I I really It only bugs me when they're white when they whitewash characters. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Um I Airbender Looking at you, <laughs> I'd never watched. You were it. the only person apparently who did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like race swapping doesn't really bother me. I, I can, I, the whitewashing. Yeah, I can see that being a problem. Um, but to to some degree, uh, if it's the good, if it's a, if it's the right actor for a part, then it's the right actor for a part. That's why I liked. Um, there uh, internet article recently that was like if they described white people like they or yeah. white women like they do women of color yeah. and it's talking about like your mashed potato skin oh the, and yeah she food, looked like fresh food mozzarella similes, <laughs> food similes for skin tones like was what it was yeah uh yeah or because like, it's like white people don't have it like <laughs> you it's know funny. it's it's generic uh yeah. it's like gosh That's you're olive skin, skin <laughs> so that you can be racially ambiguous in the book but definitely a white woman in the yeah. movie. <laughs> like, ah. mine was the, my favorite one was the one that was like um blue eyes and skin like oh, what was it uh skin like the crust of a pot pie it's <laughs> 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 like <laughs> what the fuck uh um yeah, I mean the the Dina Pilgrim thing se- seems pretty fucking fantastic, and I, and I've felt this way ever since they cast Michael Clark Duncan as 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 Daredevil, and we've talked about that on the show. But it's like, as it was as Kingpin in the original okay. Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. Um, did I say something else? You said as Daredevil. Did I? Mm-hmm. I do like the idea mm. of Michael Clark Duncan as Daredevil Actually, for what it's worth. That would be really rad. <laughs> just like Daredevil picks up a dude and just beats the fuck out of him and then rips him in half, <laughs> all in the air. Like he's just like spinning him around like a pizza. Um. So so yeah, I, I think I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I'm 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 I have gotten to the point where I still have the visceral like uh, knee jerk reaction to casting when it doesn't when it doesn't quote unquote look right. Right, I still have that nerdy like this doesn't look the part. And I, I think I did it's that because Christian. I don't know. I feel like Christian's size has something to do with his characterization in the comics. Yeah. Maybe like he I, maybe he's just like playing into a gentle giant archetype or something because he is like generally chill except when provoked and then when the shit hits the fan the shit hits the fan yeah yep. I I think um I still you know I I had that reaction with uh with uh fuck I can't remember her name the woman that they cast as Wonder Woman um, Gal Gadot Gal Gal Gadot thank you um and I still have that visceral like I don't think I she think looks she the part reaction Gal Gal Gadot. Okay. Is her name? Yeah, um, I don't. And I, it's weird. I I, mean, I think she looks fine. I don't really like her outfit because it is like. I mean, there's all the memes where it's like Lucy Lawless as Zena underneath, <laughs> being like, "You didn't even try." Yeah, um, I, and it doesn't look bad. It just looks like Zena. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see that because they. What's weird is that they kind of. Well, it's not weird. It's actually probably good that they moved away from the hyper-American look of, of the Wonder Woman <laughs> costume. Um, we have new subtler means of propaganda now. <laughs> and and I, the thing for the thing with Gal Gadot for me in that visceral reaction is mostly because the only thing that I've ever seen Gal Gadot in is is the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, okay. And, and I haven't actually ever seen her on screen. So. Was she the French chick? Uh, yeah, she was, I think, Spanish in that. Or but okay, yeah. she's actually Israeli. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but she, she just like, I like Gal Gadot as an actor. I think she's just fine. I just still, actress. there's actress, whatever. Some people use actor as a gender neutral term. Yeah. Um, the, I, I, but, but that visceral part of me is just like, ah, I don't think she fits. Now she could completely prove me wrong and I'm willing to accept that because 
you know, there's plenty of actors. <laughs> there's who have, already a Batfleck situation going on, so this movie will be full of surprises. What's weird is that Batfleck doesn't has never even come close to bothering me. That's interesting. I think I think Affleck is nearly perfect casting for I, Batman I'll, at this for the Batman character they're trying to portray, yeah. which is an older, more sad. grizzled Batman character. I think that Affleck. Old, I think Affleck Batman. fantastic. Like I, I do think, he, like he will be a brilliant Bruce Wayne. Sure. I think that um I mean I, like despite my my comparatively minor issues with Man of Steel I think all the casting that DC has done with the exception of Wonder like I think Henry, Henry Cavill is nearly perfect as yeah. Superman um oh my god Matt Damon needs to play the Joker God yes <laughs> <laughs> Oh that'd be awesome Actually mm. They're going for old and sad. I could see Mark like, Hamill, and and oh. this is not oh as Penguin. <laughs> Mark Hamill as Penguin. Actually, I was going to see Matt Damon as Penguin. Although you'd have oh, to oh Matt try. Damon as Penguin, Mark Hamill as as, as his cartoon Joker, only older. Okay, yeah, okay. Like <laughs> there you go. Just please, can we just go on to comics? So, uh, well, no. There's there's one one other thing that actually kind of leads into. Uh, I was talking about you know Kingpin uh, being Michael Clark Duncan. Um, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is going to play Kingpin in the Daredevil TV show. And yes, please. And he has alluded to the fact that he's going to kind of be a one of the overarching villains amongst all of the four Netflix shows the def- and into the Defenders stuff. Okay. Um, and that's just like D'Onofrio, obviously, he's a ridiculously good actor and um when you see the picture of him with his head shaven like in a suit he's just like perfect it's like spot fucking on kingpin um so i'm <laughs> yes i am uh i i'm real happy with a lot of the casting choices that are being made now with with a lot of these um uh, TV shows and stuff, and I'm I'm really really looking forward to the Marvel TV the, like the, the, Netflix, the stuff. Netflix stuff, yeah. Um, because it's gonna be cool. Um, one of the things there's an interview with Vincent D'Onofrio about about playing Kingpin and about how um, Marvel is letting their production companies that do the TV shows and the and the movies not be beholden to the comic books to such a degree that they are that they are reined in by the way the characters and the stories are portrayed in the comic books. I mean, so, Marvel's always sort of had a separate movie verse anyway, yeah. starting with with X-Men, so that that feels completely reasonable. Yeah, and and the beauty of it is that when you get, you know, you cast an actor like like D'Onofrio and he's he's just talking about how he gets to he gets to make his version of Kingpin, right? He's like mm-hmm. it's not a it's not he's not being told that this is the way Kingpin is. He's yeah. been giving a script and then he's like he gets to bring to it what whatever he wants to bring to it and that's that's, nice. that's just fantastic i'm i'm and it's an awesome thing in their in their cinematic and tv universe that they are able to separate it and still you know they're still able to um satisfy fans because they just like andy said last show they just put good stories out they yeah, just it's an issue of the stories it doesn't matter what characters yeah. you use yeah and and because like Winter Soldier has l- very little in in actual story beats to do with the Winter Soldier storyline in the comic book, but it's still that fucking probably fantastic. Means it's a good ad- adaptation too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the size and pacing of comics does not match the size and pacing of right. TV or of movies, which is weird. You know, and and people talk a lot about um, the adaptations that gets that that people think are kind of like bad, which. Alan Moore is a good person to bring up as as to the the wide breadth of adaptations that have happened to his and work and how and spinning like a centrifuge in his own <laughs> not grave <laughs> Alan his Moore's beard grave. <laughs> I I I have problems with some and not with others. Like a lot of people had a problem with Watchmen, and I the story doesn't age well. It doesn't age well, and I thought actually, I thought the movie was fine. I thought it was fine. It wasn't. It wasn't fan. It wasn't absolutely fantastic because of the fact that they didn't like. There's only one real major deviation from from the comic at all. Wait, there's no giant space monster, right? And that's and that's Shit. and in my opinion, that deviation was fucking amazing. Like I thought that was the best part of it was that they deviated from that. Um, and then, but then you get people who rag on movies like like V for Vendetta. Um, so real quick, I just want to touch on Watchmen for one more second. One of my biggest problems with Watchmen 
was that you took uh, now admittedly the story had not aged that well since it was first written right but you took a story that was very very writing intensive the mm-hmm. art was not as much a factor as the story itself i'm not knocking the art but i'm just saying that in my personal personal opinion it was more about what's going on with these characters and right. character development. And then you turn it into something that is completely, it's all about, you know, this is how visual this looks. Medium. This, you know, visual experience that you're having. Why didn't they just take another property and do that? Yeah, I mean, because... I think it's because it, they wanted to do Watchmen because it's real famous and stuff. And, okay. well, yeah, and Zack Snyder was a giant, ginormous Watchmen fan and had been wanting to adapt it for like a decade. And like, so, um, but... I, I think thinking that, about that though, like the way Moore writes his scripts is so exacting. Like he describes every bench, et cetera, et cetera. Also, he writes in all caps. Yeah, yeah. Which would make me throw up if I were an artist. Uh, if you ever uh, get to listen to an interview with Alan Moore, don't. Okay. Just don't. Yeah, yeah. Just don't listen I, I to the man talk. I, I feel like I want to. Like I know enough about him to know that his level of lunacy, and I want to like preserve the bits of his work that I actually genuinely enjoy by learning as little about where his brain is at right now as possible. Well, I think I think the problem and I think one of the things that Marvel is breaking breaking people out of is that at the time that Watchmen was made and um comic book adaptations were a relatively new thing as far as being taken seriously by Hollywood. Um and well, I mean, <coughs> you can go back to the Superman and the Batmans from the 80s. 80s, 70s. Uh Are you talking ba- Batman the first Batman movie. Oh, oh, you're, yeah, Pin Burton's Batman. When you said Superman, it, it dumped me Superman back to was Superman 70s, 77 yeah. or 78. Um, yeah, like but this even cycle, but like, even sort of for our show, this was yeah. the first yeah. time that it was taken seriously. So here's the thing: is like Batman and Batman Returns, I think, were taken very seriously, After and that, then they, they f- yeah. and then comic book movies as a whole fell off the table again, and we got. For you a know, years. why don't you chill out? <laughs> yeah, for a while until you know. I mean, Eddie always disagrees with me, but I think X Men was the start of the ramp up of the new new thing. X Two, um, I'd say. Sure, that's fine. But, um, but at the point that Watchmen was made, like there was so there's so much of a following, and there's it, it's such a humongous part of comics culture that I don't think Zack Snyder. I think Zack Snyder was very much in the mindset of. If I change this at all, people are going to f- hate it. I mean, so think he, about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. In comparison. <laughs> in, in, just in terms of... Okay, so Watchmen came out in, in 2009. So, he, he, you know, he had... Was it 2009? Was it that recent? Yeah. Jesus. I think Vin, Vendetta came out first, right? Yeah. V for Vendetta yeah. came out first. So, so, bringing it to V for Vendetta... I actually really like that movie. Yeah, me too. I really like that comic. I yeah, really too. don't like that comic. Really? I love... Th- so I like the, everything. The concept of it, I like. The concept, I think the execution is bad. But it's not It's not Alan Moore's fault. It's because of the fact that V for Vendetta was... It was a, a serial in a magazine. Yep. It, was, it was published as, I think, six-page... Yeah, issues. and it came out, and it was coming out steadily for like seven months, and then the magazine kind of faltered, and there was literally like a two-year gap right in the middle of them of him doing V for Vendetta. Um, I think V for Vendetta, the comic, when read as a whole, is nearly incoherent. Um, I it goes back to itself a lot, but it had to as in its initial sure. format. I just don't. That makes it make a lot more sense, actually. Yeah. I just don't. I like the. I like the concept of it. I like the story he was trying to tell. I think the execution is very hackneyed. It's just not really. So that's why you like the movie better good. than because it's streamlined out. Yeah, that, and so. that's what I love about the movie is they took all of the core concepts of V for Vendetta, they streamlined it, added a little action, which was totally fine, um, and and tightened it up. And I thought I think made a very good movie that that had the same exact point and feel that the comic. And had. that's the thing is an adaptation that captured the same feel. Yeah. Much like like to me one of the best comics to admittedly animated movie adaptations that has ever been done is Akira, because yeah. it's very 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 different. Mm-hmm. But it both of them work so well in the context of their Canada. media. I feel the same that's way about all- uh, mm-hmm. in anime. I feel the same way about Ghost in the Shell. Uh, the Ghost in the Shell movie, I think, is a very good adaptation, but it is wildly different from the comic. Um, 
and it again it streamlines everything from the comic. It takes a lot of the ideas and streamlines them into a two-hour movie that's really really fantastic. Sort of the opposite of the Lone like, Wolf and Cub is another one that did mm-hmm. an amazing oh. amazing job because I mean there's multiple interpretations of it as a movie. Yeah, oh. and yeah, none of which I have seen. Like a derp. <laughs> but I think one of the best things about uh, Marvel's the way Marvel is handling handling their movies and even DC to some degree is that they are not forcing people to be beholden to individual storylines. Right? They're not like we talked about this a little in the last show about how they're uh, you know they could lead into like civil war or something. It's like no, they're they're going to lead into a Marvel event that is uh, wholly you know part of the movie universe. Can you imagine like Phase Three ending with like a trilogy of films? that's like the equivalent of Empire Strikes Back where it starts out with the Avengers <laughs> then goes into Captain America and ends up with Guardians of the Galaxy. Pretty cool. That'd be pretty badass. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think the casting uh, of these is, is fantastic. Vincent D'Onofrio uh, as as Daredevil is going to be fantastic and, I, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what stories that they decide to go with with those TV shows with Iron Fist and Jessica Jones and and like I would love to see more Jessica Jones on I'm film. just sad that they can't call it Alias. Yeah. 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 AKA Jessica Jones is a pretty decent like It's okay. It's okay. It's not Alias, but yeah. <laughs> it is sort of totally renamed Spy Game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Lastly, before we move on to talking about Velvet, uh, there this last week, and and to to pull back the curtain a little bit for listeners, we're re- actually recording this a a week before it is going to be broadcast because uh, the weekend that we would normally record um, the thirtieth is uh, the weekend of PAX, and most of us are going. To everyone be is at going PAX. to PAX except for me. Oh, sad clown. Not even a little bit. <laughs> um, so we're, so we're recording this a week early. That's why, um, you know, uh, we might be talking about some things that, who knows. Our old hat by yeah. the time you actually hear this. Um, so the, this last week has been just a... Bullshit. Just a bullshit week of fucking dick pics and ass cracks. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, we we don't we don't really want to fucking talk about it. There's a lot of negativity in the industry right now. And you it's can like, go find so much of it on the internet right now. Yeah, you don't you, need any more from us. Um, in lieu of that, we have something else okay. to offer you. Yeah. Uh, However, I will say that before we started recording, we talked for what an hour and a half on this. We Probably. got it out. We yep. got it out of our system. Got it out of our mm-hmm. systems. It's like, okay, fuck it, we're done. Let's let's, yeah. let's do something. Record. If you instead. desperately want to find that stuff, I'm pretty sure you could go to Google and type in dick pics and ass cracks and f- and it would actually come up with the, the shit the, the shit that's happened this last week so but we're we've got other <laughs> things to talk about and this, go ahead uh i would like to offer a long list of currently running all except for one can we all pick just four and yeah, just yeah. Sam? four female-led titles that are worth reading that are that are awesome uh i will start out with ms marvel which is my hands down favorite current Marvel title good because it has a teenage nerdy Muslim girl from Jersey City who's being derpy around Wolverine that's all that's all you need to know (laughs) Um, I'll go up next with Rat Queens yeah I know we covered it already in the show but no seriously the book is fucking rad it's really good really good Um, I'm gonna start with Lazarus Uh, Greg Rucka is just fantastic at writing strong, like deep female lead led characters, and Lazarus is no exception. Like Captain Marvel again with the Marvel superheroes, um, her stories continue to be interesting. I'm actually more interested in the second trade than I was in the first one. Um, she's iconic. Read read her. Good God. <laughs> I guess I want to do another one. Pretty deadly um, because it's a western. Uh, that's it's what is it? Uh, weird, weird West. Is that the Weird West? Yeah, Weird West. Yeah, um, it's great. Uh, I'm gonna go with Fatal. Fatal is it just ended? It's a 24 issue like straight through arc, um, and it's uh, it is an amazing take on the concept of of why a femme fatale is the way she is, and it's all centers around Cthulhu. Uh, I'll talk about uh, Saga, which is. Romeo and Juliet plus space and way more interesting and they're not teenagers <laughs> and they have a kid. 
Uh, but it's got a host of exciting female characters, including the female lead. Tangent. Uh, you remember the contro- quote-unquote controversy over the cover to the first issue where she had a breastfeeding baby? Uh, was um, there a controversy? There was that? a controversy where comic shops would actually not carry the comic because they were showing a, a baby breastfeeding on the cover. That's fucking it's, hilarious. It's, and it's retarded. So they're coming out with the deluxe edition hardcover, which is the first, I think, 12 to 18 I don't remember exactly how many issues it is deluxe edition hardcover and please tell me it's just the breast fe- it's damn near it is, is it just literally breastfeeding the baby literally the cover the f- like a full third of the cover is the curve of a breast and then it's like the baby's face like pressed into it looking over the top of the boob and that's the that's whole cover great. specifically because BKV and Fiona <laughs> Staples uh, even said phys- purposely online they're like to all of those comic shops who had a problem with our original fuck you yeah <laughs> good for them so sorry that's saga uh so stump town would be my next one if you like crime noir um this is a fantastic detective crime noir story with a female lead rockford files with a woman yeah actually yeah. that's a really good example and greg rucka again too that's great um sex criminals is just uh it's probably one of my favorite things that fractions ever read or written and um the the lead the lead in that is just like um for lack of a better way to put it despite the fact that she stops time with her orgasm she's just a real person she's a a, like very well-rounded character despite the fact that she stops time with her orgasms (laughs) and finally i'll mention yet another marvel title uh she hulk is great it's funny um there's a host of badass female characters, including her paralegal, who she has a history of badass paralegals. Her paralegal is pretty rad. Um, but She-Hulk is great because it takes a uh, character that's strength-based and makes her really just like well-rounded and smart and interesting. It has Doctor Doom as well, and that's always worth it. The last one I can think of is Liberty Meadows. Liberty Meadows is this fantastic book by Frank Cho that's... I, I personally see it as like a modern interpretation or a modernish or a new interpretation of Calvin and Hobbes, where you've got highly anthropomorphic characters as well as real characters. And it does this great job of just developing everybody. Last one then is is the sixth gun, which it's no surprise to anyone. It's always been one of my favorite comics, and Becky Montcrief is one of the best characters, uh, like female characters in comic books. Um, she's just watching her grow and change over the course of the the run of the sixth gun has been fucking fantastic this was a small portion of the currently running female-led titles that are out there we i mean we mostly touched on like image and marvel and maybe a little bit of something else but lest you despair about the state of this industry, go read the actual comics because there is so much good stuff out there. Yeah, don't let people focus, like people tend to focus on the outrage and the negativity for way longer than they they focus on the positivity. I I likened it to a tire fire (laughs) last (laughs) week. Um, But um, the last thing I want to say about this is, is that we just listed 12 comics with female leads that are all fantastic. And not only did we just list a bunch of good quote unquote female led comics, we literally just listed 12 of the best comic books on the market right now. Leads regardless of leads. So, uh, take some time and go read some good shit. So for the last week, we have been reading uh, Velvet. It is the uh, the first trade encompasses the first five issues. It is a Ed Brubaker, Steve Epting comic about a uh, semi-retired secret agent named Ver- Velvet Templeton uh, who has shifted from a uh, field operations role into a, into be- basically being a secretary because of some bad shit that happened to her. And... Um, The story starts off with effectively Velvet being framed for the exposure and subsequent murder of a couple of uh, field agents in the in the agency that she works for. You look like you want to say something, man. Um, Velvet or Brubaker and Brubaker and Epting are used to working with each other. (laughs) You can tell they've worked with each other before. (laughs) Yeah. They um they don't have quite near quite as long a, a, a collaboration as as him and Sean Phillips, but is this I mean, the same they worked, team that was working on 
uh, Captain America. Yes. Um, they worked on t- together on Captain America for six years. Yeah, something like that. I mean, the, as with any Marvel comic artist, the artist flipped around a lot. Brubaker was on Captain America for a total of eight and a half years. That was ten. Wow. I think it's eight and a half, okay. but anyway, it might be ten. Something right. like somewhere around something that. ridiculous. Yeah, and for the for the majority of that time, Epting was his artist. But of course, the artist changed off and on because that's what Marvel does. Um, uh, this comic is. Uh, we didn't we didn't list it in our lists uh, in the previous segment of, of female led comics because we figured we were going to be talking about it on the show. Yep. Um, it feels very like, uh, J- I mean, it's obviously an analogous thing to James Bond, but sure, it, it feels like a combination of James Bond and the Avengers, except that the female character is the main character and perhaps and by avengers i mean the 60s spy show yeah not not marvel's the avengers not captain america and the avengers yeah the avengers which which is exactly why it has to be specifically titled marvel's the avengers when it's when it was released in the uk Uh uh-huh so um it's yeah i mean it's it's a unique book in that not only is it a female lead character, but it's a female lead character in her mid forties. Yep. Um, and they do they do play on kind of what they've been playing, what they played on with the the latest Bond movie, um, uh, Skyfall, where you know Bond in that movie was mostly broken. Like he was he was kind of he's past his prime. He'd you know he'd been shot. He'd didn't real really heal all that well he was he was just kind of beat to shit and not really at full capacity and they play on that that a little bit in velvet as well where she it's not that but in in her case it's not that she's been broken from physical damage it's that she's completely out of practice because she's had a desk job for the last five years right and i couldn't admittedly i did one read through and it was quick enough that i need to go back and look is she like is her desk job undercover like is it public knowledge that she was an agent uh i don't know there's there are people in her agency that knows she was a field agent uh it's not a specifically undercover job because they they actually and i know this is bad they address that in issue six uh, which is out just outside the realm of this is of this trade um but uh i think it's I think it's um it is a it is a technically undercover job where she does work for the agency that is specific to the agency right she's right. like she's doing agency work but she's also part of the front right and that for may the not agency be as public of knowledge right. as the, that cuz that's what it seemed from like that opening conversation where it was a bunch of dudes sitting around being like gosh we surely all did have this affair with the exact same person oh my god she totally played all of us yeah. whoop <laughs> yeah one thing that I appreciate about this, aside from the aforementioned, like, joining the very small ranks of lead heroes and spy stories that are women over 40, um, that her, like, spy seduction skills totally come up relatively regularly, both in the backstory and in the, just to an extent, in the front story, although she's mostly, like, kicking people in the face and running around in the in the uh, story, mm-hmm. in the front story, but... Um, I, I like the way that that's dealt with because yeah. it's clearly part of her skill set and her, you know, spy pastiche. At some point, there's a scene of her like she's infiltrating some party and she's at first she's a waitress and then she quick changes to look like one of the fancy elite. Right. To an extent, like the only like willing suspension of disbelief thing for me is like her her awesome hair how do how is she not like constantly recognized by her like rad the white, white streak well but i'm trying to remember because i think i mean it looks like in i i need in to, some of the backstory like she she obviously doesn't get right. the white streak until her 40s but yeah. uh incidentally i have i have a, I have a, a friend uh who's an author who looks creepily like her that is disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> she, she. I don't know if she's read the comic yet, but she has Velvet as her uh, Facebook profile picture <laughs> right now. Um, the thing, the thing about her, you were talking about her sed- using her seduction techniques, and the one of the reasons why I like the way that they deal with it in this comic is the fact that they don't make it a, they don't make it her primary skill. No, for one, yeah, they he peppers it into the story 
in exactly the same way that Bond seducing women gets peppered in exactly. um, where it's just a it's just a thing and it's fine because mm-hmm. you know she's all grown up and part she of has a larger skill set exactly. that also includes lots of basic palms to noses um, yeah the 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 book is set primarily in the 70s the the modern day quote current day in the book is is the 70s and uh at some point she she's basically been an agent for 20 22 or 23 years at this point in the book and um so you get a lot of back and forth between set in the 70s and the current intrigue where it's it's kind of like um uh, it's kind of like a a spy story meets the fugitive yeah. where she's been framed for something she didn't do. And now she, Oh, uh, born identity. It's very much like yeah, born yeah. identity really where is. she's been framed for something she didn't do. The only difference is that she actually remembers in this instead of the born identity where he doesn't know what he's, who yeah. he is. Um, and now she's trying to find what happened, like what's going her. on, who framed her, um, whether it's an inside job or not, which they, she pretty much knows it is. Um, and, Who's the mole? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really impressed with the atmosphere of the book. Yeah, like Brubaker and Epting just just kind of nail that '70s spy thriller thing. Yeah, they, they, there's there's a very like during the flashbacks, there's an excellent job done of sort of making you feel like you're looking at something from the '70s. I would say, and this is my me being opinionated, rather than reading. Um, Par- the Parker books. Parker's great. I mean, they're they're so attractive, and they have that era feel, but they're f- filled with giant dicks, entirely dicks. Uh, whereas this is like literally a really, and figuratively, literally and figuratively. So, like, I would say if you if you want like a non misogynistic like version of that that is a spy story and that is is uh rooted in the 70s like check out Velvet rooted in instead. the idealism of the 70s because yeah. parker was like the hunter and darwin cook wrote the stories in the 70s yeah so oh yeah this is well a, darwin cook didn't actually write or sorry um uh Jack- <laughs> no oh What's shit face? now we can't remember his goddamn <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> slayground uh the hunter uh fuck <laughs> Uh, like so, the difference. I think, Richard between Stark. Richard, Richard Stark. Stark. Yeah, Richard Stark. Okay. The difference is um, that Richard Stark wrote those stories in the seventies. Right. So it was you know the seventies from the seventies. Brubaker has gone back and taken what he wanted See, from thought, the seventies. Exactly. Ide- all the best parts it. of yeah. that book. Yeah. I thought Parker was earlier than that. I thought Parker was in the. 60s. I think it was sixties. It was like late sixties. Yeah. But whatever. In any case, this definitely like captures all the good Bond feels without any of the creepiness. Uh, on the on the sort of note of tangents with uh, the Richard Stark books Payback the Mel Gibson film uh-huh. there's some really weird stuff in that movie that I had not noticed the first time that I saw it such as Lucy Liu being this S&M dominatrix gosh like, I remember that I, I don't I'm like that's cool and all but that wasn't really something that I remember from those <laughs> stories yep I um I don't know I, I I've never been hugely into like this specifically the 70s era spy movies um bond of course being an exception because it's fucking james bond right and it's a whole different like it's a whole different thing it's its own like bond is its own genre to a certain yeah, point yeah. it has gravitational pull um and i think there there have been some movies that have done you know done it as a uh period piece pretty well but um i what i like about this is it's not um it's it's God, it's almost like a fantasy book. It's almost like an urban fantasy, like without the fantasy. There's just it's the way that they, the way that he portrays everything is just so like. Um, God, my vocabulary has just gone to shit today. I mean, it's a super smooth setting that feels completely natural, and it's really it's an immersive, engaging story as well. Um, like, let's talk about the pacing for a minute. Yeah, one thing that I found that. It's sometimes problematic for writers that I don't feel is a problem here is that if you keep on doing time jumps, I think that uh, maybe one of the reasons why it's so um, Velvet herself has the white streak of hair. So you can, as soon as you look at a page, yeah. you can tell when it is. is I it think that's really day? smart. Is it, you know, because years ago. And I realize like aging faces is really difficult. She doesn't necessarily look hugely 40. Um like I wasn't sure how old she was until they had the flashback to like her doing stuff in like 1949 and 1955. Really? I, I thought they did. I mean, she obviously looks like to me I was like, well, she's got to at least be in her 30s. 
but uh but you know and in some in some panels she definitely looks like she's she's in her 40s um at the same time that didn't really bother me in part because of the character design and because it's so easy to follow the story yeah i i'm I don't even know where to go from here because like I it's it's weird because it's one of those books that uh I'm already a Brubaker fan, right? Like yeah. I've I have not yet read something by Brubaker I didn't like, which is one thing that I can't say about a lot of other writers, right? Like I've read stuff, even my favorite writers like um like Fraction and Colin Bunn and Remender, they all have things that I can identify that I didn't like yeah. uh that they've written. Um I have I haven't found something by Brubaker yet. I don't like, think I've ever found anything by Jason Aaron that I didn't like. I feel like if I... That's fair. The only place I could really go with this is like delving into the craft to say like, why is this good? Well, gosh. Um, part of it has to do with how well the writer and the artist work together. And it doesn't... Yeah. I didn't know that they'd been collaborating for like six years, but that does not it doesn't surprise, surprise me when you, when you see the all. way that the book comes together it's just like yeah these people obviously know what each other uh, well and something something to to clarify there too is that they collaborated for maybe a grand total of six years worth of comp captain america comics but they have been collaborators for 10 years 15 12 years? or 13 yeah. years yeah they've been collaborating for a long time together and they're a great team and, and just like in terms of i'm sure it's they're they're both responsible for this, but there's some of the little stuff like um, when she's casing a room, how that's shown. Yeah, um, yeah. Some yeah. of the circular panels that yep. show her thought process are really, really effective. Uh, one of one of the things like to bring we were you know we were talking before the show about um, or we were, we were talking earlier in the show about her um, like her using her seduction and everything. And one of the things that I found very interesting about this book is how um, everything. <sighs> Everything just seems natural in the way it's depicted. So there are things like when she's changing into an outfit and she is shown in lingerie or there's, you know, she's seduced a guy and she's shown nude and it never, it amazes me that they can show her nude in the comic and it never feels like, it never feels over-sexualized. It never feels... slice of life, not gratuitous. Yeah, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It doesn't feel like it's, it honestly does not feel like any of it is in there specifically for titillation. So it's like... So just to break that down, because I think that's a really useful thing to think about, one reason why is because she's the main character and we see the world through her eyes. There's so much subjective stuff. So it's not like someone's looking at her, her. Exactly. objectifying her. It's, it's yeah. she's, you know, she's looking through a closet to find some clothes. It's not that she's, it's not male gazy. Well, yeah. it, it isn't. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I want to, I kind of want to find the scene where she's, she's crouched down naked because also just like, there's something important about the angle of that shot. It's in the issue that she's in the masquerade ball and it's before she goes to the masquerade ball. Well, there's she's um, in lingerie at some point. I was thinking of I like... I think that's the scene right there. Like, there's No, there's one where she's like, she's actually completely naked, but you have to yeah, like yeah, look yeah. twice to be like, oh yeah. And the thing is the way, the way that she's posed, she's like, she's cr- crouched and ready for action and you're on the level with her. Yeah. Like, uh, like literally the camera is on the same level as she is. Again, the subjectivity of it is part of what makes her a really compelling character. And like in terms of, because gosh, gosh, the internet's been talking about bodies this week. Like uh, I do feel like, again, this style is not intended to be exaggerated, but it's really not. Like I, I find the, find like human forms, the way fabric behaves, et cetera, really uh, believable. And part of sort of the richness of this particular art style and world. So in something Oh yeah, that's in, the one I was yeah. thinking of. In something that that caught me about like moving away from the writing and going to the artwork with Steve Epting is that I I read some of the Captain America stuff that he did and I've seen his art in other things before and through the 90s and the the early 2000s I I was never hugely impressed with Epting's art. Um I thought it was passable uh and it was fine. I but it was it it never really struck me right it was nothing that I looked at and went wow this is really good and it could be I mean part of that could be from the fact that when I f- when I first saw a lot of Epting's art when it you know like when we was doing Captain America and some of the stuff before that I was a much different person than I am now right I was reading much 14. different comics uh, older than that but like you know I was in my early twenties and late teens and so his artwork uh, you know I was still in the crash bang pow like comic art that you know action-y stuff so 
in in the world of Todd McFarlane's and Jim Lee's superheroes kicking supervillains in the dick. Is yeah, what you're saying. Um, <laughs> his art just felt uh, plain. I guess would be what I would say. Well, it's and realistic. It's like the it's realistic in that the people are look like people, sure. and they look like. They're not photorealistic necessarily, but they're, they're they don't have exaggerated anatomy. So where I was going with this is that this has completely changed my mind on his artwork. Mm. Um, I especially like um, I think uh, what's the name of their colorist? Is it Brett Weiser? Yeah. Carol Bre- oh, their this, colors are good. Uh, yeah, Elizabeth Brett Weiser. Bright Brightweiser. I think that's how it's pronounced. Brightweiser. Um, the combination of Epting's art and Brightweiser's colors in this book are just fucking fantastic. Um, part of it, it starts with um, with Epting's use of light, which I think is really good. He he's he, he does a lot more deep shadow in this than he did in like Captain America. So like pages where there's you know, like this page here where there's, you know, you've got something going on in the foreground that's kind of like in shadow and then it get, you have a, a framed scene in the background or just um, the way that he uses lighting in, the, in different situations um, just from the, the inked black and white perspective is fantastic. And then Brightweiser layers so much uh, evocative color onto that in the same way that we were talking about... Um, uh, what book were we talking about last week? Lazarus, where different scenes will have completely different color palettes and it'll show you, you know, the the color palette makes it, um, you can instantly tell like what time period Blood they're in. Blood Snowman Lazarus. Yeah, Le- I was here for Lazarus. But DC Black Canary. Oh yeah, then I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Lazarus. Um, but but all the episodes true. are blending together for they us. They really are. No. Uh, it's true that the color has a lot to do with sort of the palette and the tone and even the, which if you're in the mood, which time period you're in mm-hmm. as well. Well, and I think that uh, Epting's line work in this is way tighter than, than, I've seen from some of his Marvel work um, and it has definitely evolved over time. Like in the, in the nineties and the early two thousands, when I was looking at Epting's work, it was just kind of plain, but he has, he's really evolved the level of detail and the level of, and how tight um, his actual ink work is in this. So it's just, it's, it feels so, um, I don't know. Smooth, I guess, is the way that I would. I, it is bad. Bad words. I language, <laughs> vocab, talk bad. Hey, Luke. Podcasts. What, what do you do for a living? Yeah, I know. I know. I that I write for a living, sir. <laughs> I don't fucking talk for a living. I if this is if this paper. is what you would consider quote unquote a living, then I am fucking destitute. Shit. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, yeah, I I know I'm on a podcast and I I talk uh, I talk goods about comic books is um, comic books real goods. <laughs> it's party. The pictures are nice. One of the things that int- intrigues me about this story, especially when you get toward the end of the first arc, which is in the in uh, in the trade, is the um, this kind of double double cross that happens uh-huh. at the end, where Velvet Mockingbird. what Mockingbird. I don't know what you're talking about. That's her her husband's code name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where you know she f- she falls in love with another agent and they get married. I love and them pretending to be normal. It's hilarious. Yeah, and there's this kind of neat like uh, through line with them working together as agents and pretending to be you know a normal couple. And um, it reminded me at first like I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, Haywire. A fairly new movie with Gina Carano. No. So there's this this pretty awesome scene at the beginning. Gina Carano is basically a, a spy, um, and she's like an action spy. And Michael Fassbender is another action spy. And they they have this scene where they they have to act like husband and wife. And then um, it turns out at the end of the whole thing, which is it's I'm not spoiling anything because it happens within the first like 20 minutes of the movie. Um, Fassbender. We find out that Fassbender has been tasked with double crossing her um which the the purpose of that was actually for a badass fight scene where gina carino gets to kick the living fuck out of michael fassbender but it reminded me a lot of this where 
it was very similar. They were out and they were on a mission together and they were acting like a, a normal couple together. And then they get back to a room and uh, Michael Fassbender f- blindsides her and and punches her in the back of the head. And then it turns into this just badass fight. Only in this book, they were kind of both un like unnecessarily suspicious of each other, mm-hmm. right? They had been both led through both observation and um, kind of guided by their, their superiors to believe that each other were double agents. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up basically killing him and that that's what drives her to not work in the field anymore. And the way that he plays that storyline out is so good. It's really it's well paced. So well paced. And it's so the scene with the two of them in the hotel room as they're trying to like as she's trying to figure out whether he's a like whether he's a double agent or not and what he's what she's gonna have to do with him and and then her realization of Oh shit! He thought I was the bad guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just, I mean, that uh, sort of thematically mirrors the very the very beginning of the story in the seventies, hey. where uh, she is investigating what looks like a framing, and then mm-hmm. gets framed. Well, in, yeah. So it's like a double layer frame. Yeah. I remember Andy when I uh, when I subscribed to this book, and I was talking about it early, you know, six months ago when it started. And you had not kind words to say. I, about I, I still feel like it's a uh, a failed TV plot. Like I really, there's things I like about it, but there's just some, like I like Brubaker as a writer, and there are things that I like about this book, but there are things that I feel like he could have done better. Like what? Such as, um, man, there's just something more I expect out of him. Like this is a nine out of ten, but I sort of am used to him doing ten out of tens. Gosh. It's kind of strange, like you say the failed TV plot thing, and and I guess my issue with that assessment is that I would that was that would never be anything I would expect from Brubaker, right? Like, put this, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that you expect out of Mark Millar, right? He writes he writes storyboards for movies. That's all he does. Brubaker's not that guy, though. Brubaker, he's, he's not like this. Is just what I feel. I feel like it's you know was him trying something that could be easily adapted. And maybe it's just in the composition of the stories and how... I thought that paneling was really... No, not the pa- like, so when you say composition, what are you talking about? Um, <clears throat> so if you read each comic, uh-huh. to a certain extent, I feel like that you could put each of those comics into a one-hour block. And that there is a distinct arc in each comic... I I, I understand that, but like you I'm, just described comic books, though. See, I disagree with that. Like, <laughs> if you look at like some of Brubaker's other stuff, like Fatal or uh, Criminal and stuff like that, those are stories that you know, like there's no like there might be a, a like a downbeat at the end of an issue, but it's not necessarily that's the the arc. Mm. I I mean I I kind of see what you're getting at, but I I think I think it's less it, from my perspective, it's less about. Um, you know, trying to compare it to being like a TV, like a TV pitch, and more, um, uh, more a part of the the setting. It's like the because this particular setting, the kind of the spy genre, is driven by cliffhangers. Right, that's what makes yeah. you keep going with a spy book. Is you read an issue, and then the end of the issue, there's some kind of like holy shit moment, holy shit moment, and that's what. Um, it's always about revelations, um, about obfuscation and revelation, and obfuscation and revelation. And um, I, I think that his other books, when you come to like the noir genre or or fatal, where you add in a supernatural thing, you can have those weird downbeats, and you can have those things because they're um, the stories are more um, more visceral than yeah. this. Um, whereas this is meant to be that kind of episodic, episodic uh, thing beat with, by, with beat, spit, by beat. beat by beat by beat kind of spy story to yeah. keep it moving. So it you know it's it's like watching a a Soderbergh movie, okay. where it's like you know you got to keep that beat going. It's Ocean's Eleven with spies. Yep. Okay. So, but I mean, and like I said, that's just you know me. But by no means do I think that it's a bad book. 
one thing I would say is that this is the sort of book, and maybe it is because it has more of that episodic feel or structure to it. It's like, this is a book that I could give to somebody who doesn't read a lot of comics and be like, hey, do you like spy stuff? Read this. Maybe I can convert you to reading all the comics. (laughs) It's like, you know, I couldn't get, um, to follow up on Anne's point, I couldn't get most people to read Fatale. Unless, you know, they really liked comics because it's Cthulhu, it's, you know, historical. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. This is a more, like, punchy, beat by beat. Right. It's very action-oriented. There's character development in there. There's a lot of character development in there. But it's, I feel like it's taken down just, like, it's one accessible. notch. It's Yeah, it's accessible, which I, sort of has a negative connotation, but I don't mean... You're yeah. You're you're turning into the elitist. That's like hey, people shouldn't like comics for being no, accessible. I, I, they're making it too accessible to mass market. Dude, blah, I love blah. Rat Queens, uh, which I is know. pretty much chicks on a rollerblade or roller derby team beating up orcs. <laughs> <laughs> I just expect something different out of Brubaker, I guess. Yeah, and and I think that's why one of the reasons why I like this book is because it's very Brubaker in that it's very well written and it's got some very good good concepts, but it's not it's not his usual thing. Which that's fair. Which fatal and fatal and criminal are his criminal and, is his bread and fucking yeah, butter. and even even to some extent incognito and uh, um, what's the, the fade out? F- no, 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 no. The the older one that's um, the the top cow one, uh, um, Strable or um, sleeper, sleeper. Thank you. Sleeper's great. Yeah, they're all great, but they're also all very similar, and they're all very much there. like Brew Baker's thing. Yeah, and. I can, which is why I can totally see why you expect something different from him because that's what you expect from him, right? That's his usual um, shtick. And I've heard the fade out is fucking fantastic, and I, I, really, I, I have not read it yet. I have not read the first issue either. I'm I want to, and I'm going to soon. But um, I don't know. I I really like this book because I think one of the things he does super well is yes, it's accessible. Yes, it's got that you know kind of snappy beat to it. But he manages to do that with one of the least represented main character archetypes in comics which is and in, awesome. in media, which is a mid-40s woman uh, that just doesn't, you know, you just don't see things that aren't like legal dramas centered yeah. around that kind of character. Because in, you know, the world Weeds? of pop culture and film, yes, Weeds is one of the few. She's early thirties, early mid thirties. No. no, she has a kid in the show. 20. Really? Yeah. I, I would say she's nearly forty. Okay. Slash. I, yeah. Okay. I guess 40. I can see She's that. actually probably about the same age as Bella Tumbleton. Yeah. But, but then again, that's also Jenny Cohen, who's like, "Hey, let's put some underrepresented stuff on television." Yeah. Ta-da! Versus. And that's also you're a pretty, saying words at me, and I'm not. Like, I, I'm assuming that's the writer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, who also did Orange Is the New Black. Wasn't Orange is the New Black a book first? Yes, Did it's the based... film adaptation of Orange is the New Black. Whatever. For the TV show. Yes, it was a book okay. first, and it's loosely based on a true story, but it's still it's, still just, its own thing. Yeah. Um, the same thing with, like, I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, but even, even Weeds, it's not like, um, there's not a lot of intrigue. It's kind of a... It's kind of a goofball like yeah. thing, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bragging on weeds. My wife loves the show. It's not my thing, but I can see that it's good. Um, but yeah, it's, but it's, it's just, I don't know. It's still, still an underrepresentative demographic. It's true. Underrepresented demographic. It's true because like all the characters. romance stories fall away past forty, and mm-hmm. the, you know you can find plenty of people complaining on the internet about how women over forty have seemingly stopped existing in a lot of film <laughs> archetypes. Yeah. Like the main character <laughs> archetype. Yeah. And 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 then and then people like Rene Russo come up and just blow that idea out of the water. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh I'm I'm a humongous fan of this book. Like I'm really because of the fact that I'm I'm consistently intrigued by what's going to happen next. You know, I'm um they've got he's got so much backstory that he can fill in here that um is kind of the the bread and butter of this type of spy story where it's like yes, we have the intrigue of the current problem, but then we're filling in the backstory by saying this is who she used to be and yeah. and why how all of that led into what's happening to her now and I just think that I love the pacing. I love the um, the artwork. I'm I'm more impressed by Steve Epting's artwork here than I have ever been by his artwork before. Um, 
I, I think Brightweiser's colors are fantastic. Um, it's just to me, it's a really, really fantastic book with a with a uh, an extremely well-rounded, deep female lead. It feels like a more accessible version of Criminal to me. I could see that's, that. That's sort of what I'm getting out of it. Hmm. And I don't mean accessible in a negative or positive. No, no, no I know. Yeah, yeah. Just it seems like you've got sort of just the way the book feels. Now, whether that's writing, art, colorists, any of that, that all just throw that all together in one bucket and mm-hmm. say that is velvet. Then you have criminal. Criminal is, it's very dense. It's there's a lot going on. It's true. Velvet is the accessible version of that. Uh, I mean, I, criminal does feel denser to me than this. Um, it's not as clean. It's, it's hard for it's me to. It's differently com- paced. Yeah, it's differently paced. It's not as clean. There's a lot more. It's a lot darker. Yeah. yeah. I, it's it's hard for me to compare the two, in my opinion. Like it's it. Um, it's hard for me to see your comparison because it t- they're kind of apples and oranges to me. Like I, I've, this is this is the one book by Brew Baker that's. I mean, aside from Captain America, because Captain America clearly is nothing like Criminal. Well, um, this is the first book other than Cap uh, or Criminal that I feel is actually stepping out of Brew Baker's standard thing. So it's hard for me to compare it to Criminal or 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 Fatal, but. Um, if we're going to go buy, borrow, burn on it, then I'm obviously a buy. Like, it's it's an insta-buy to me. I would say buy unless you hate spy stories for some reason. Yeah. It's a buy. I mean, it's if you love comics and haven't read anything by Brubaker, I'd recommend oh, yeah. Criminal or Incognito or Sleeper first. But, I mean, if you haven't read comics, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. But <laughs> no, this is the sort great. of thing where I'm going to, I haven't yet bought a trade because I read it on our Comixology account. But I am planning on going and buying a trade and then obnoxiously lending it to people in the way that I obnoxiously lend out sex criminals. Yeah. I want to, I, I, and, and that's one of the, th- <laughs> and that's which may not be a starter comic actually, but you know. One of the things that, that, that I just want to bring up so that we can make sure that the tone is correct for what we're talking about here, in all of the weird tone that we've had with me and Andy talking back and forth about this book, remember that Andy said this is a 9 out of 10. <laughs> it's like, gosh, it's, only it's a like, 9 out of 10. It's, it's not It's not so great. It's only a 90%. It's not like know, 95. <laughs> it's like an A+. But I it's expect just, I, 100. So years ago, someone gave me a piece of advice that I've always sort of followed, and that's follow writers that you love. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, will, I, will, I will get anything that Brubaker puts out, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be not hypercritical, but I will definitely be like, I've seen him do better, or I've seen him do worse, or this is fantastic, but it's going to be based on what I see his talents to be. Sure. So when I say it's a 9 out of 10 for you know him, keep in mind, I've bought every fucking thing he's <laughs> written. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got plenty of episodes um, uh, planned out for the next, all the way up through episode 81. This is episode 75, uh, and I just completely, oh, there we are. Um, I almost lost them all. Uh, Episode 76, uh, which will be in two weeks from when you hear this, is Jersey Gods, which until uh, Andy brought it up, I'd never even heard of it. I remember you bringing it up, and I'm excited to read this. It is right down my alley. Uh, and then episode 77 is one of Eddie's suggestions, which is Harley Quinn. Uh, episode 78 is actually a, a, a fan named Nick on our Facebook group uh, wanted us desperately to read uh, Transformers, IDW's. IDW's Transformers All Hail Megatron trade. And so he actually went out and bought us four copies and is providing them to us to do the show. So, and so um, we shall. And so we shall. We take um, bribes. Yes, we do. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we're going to like it because... Uh, who knows? With with me, anyway, I know that <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be like... I yeah. think it might beat Michael Bay. That's my baseline is Michael Bay. I'm hoping... Oh, well, shit. That I, if that's again, your baseline, then there's no way for you to be disappointed. Exactly. <laughs> Set your expectations It's a great low. way to, to love life, actually. Just be like, I could be in a Michael Bay movie, but instead I'm reading The camera this. could be panning around me pointlessly in slow motion right now. All media be could be Michael flares. Bay. Oh, when, whenever you look around and see a flag, be like, am I in a Michael Bay film right now? <laughs> Michael Bay's Moby Dick. Yeah. Um... Uh, episodes have you seen by the way have you seen the the um the trailer that's up if it were by directed by michael <laughs> yeah. bay 
So good. So good. Uh, so episode 79 is going to be Hellboy Volume 1. We're doing the library edition of Volume 1, which is going to be Seed of Destruction and Wake the Devil, which are the first two major arcs of Hellboy. Um, and then episode 80, since it's a round-numbered episode, is our long read episode, and we are doing the entirety of Transmetropolitan. Much Woo-hoo. Transmetropolitan. Transmet. Such so spider. spider. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, episode 81, which is as far out as we've got planned, we are going to do the full, uh, the full run of Furious by Brian Glass and Victor Santos. So if you would like to take part in the show by asking us any questions or making any comments about the comics that we have just listed and what we are going to read in the future, or can you, if you can think of uh, specific industry events that you want us to talk about on the show, let us know. You can hit us up on, tr- on Twitter at Trade Secrets Pod. You can hit us up on Facebook at Trade Secrets. Uh, Jesus. You can hit us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash Trade Secrets. Uh, we do interact quite a bit on our Facebook group, so so if you actually want to talk to really us, you can talk to, to us there. Bitch about all of the terrible things that have happened this week. That's the place. That's the place to do it. Uh, or you can email us at tradesecretsatgeekerific.com. We would love to hear from our fans. I know that we get a lot of questions and comments from Scanner51. And there's still a, there's still a backlog of a few that we haven't addressed yet that we need Although to get Although I will to. address one. In what? terms of podcasts that I listen to, other than this one, which I only listen to sometimes. You weren't on that episode, were you? Yeah, okay. Oh, did you already? We talked about it, but go ahead because you weren't on did that episode. Did you talk about Rachel and Miles explain the X-Men? Nope. That's a fantastic one. Um, for those of you who don't feel the need to go back and like read all Silver Age and Beyond X-Men, uh, or if you have read and just want to snicker about... Uh, they describe it as the something like the ups and downs of our favorite superhero soap opera, and uh, it's 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 actually a really concise and lovely explanation, not only of the plot but of like the space leprechauns and all the weird <laughs> shit that happens in X Men because X Men, how much how how much of a huge asshole Professor X is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's it's really amusing. I Rachel is a huge Cyclops fan, which like I feel like I have that get, exists. That exists, and she has reasons, and like they're kind of reasonable. I still, you know, of course, I, I feel like I've got Rachel edited in on one shoulder and like Gail Simone on the other shoulder, and they're both making Cyclops jokes. <laughs> I will say that uh, how Rachel's been responding to like stupid, stupid like hate mail that she gets is by posting it and then posting like sort of snarky things that cyclops has said images and like that's her only <laughs> response which is kind of great that's but cool. uh yes aside from that and welcome to night vale, that's that's really I, I listen to like podcasts i should make a brief mention of one that i didn't mention the last time and that is mark maron's wtf podcast everyone should listen to that mark maron is fucking hilarious so hardcore history yeah Anyway, uh, yeah, we've got the next. Ep- we've got episodes all the way through episode eighty-one planned out. And if you'd want to, if you want to get a hold of us, please get a hold of us. We will read your email on the show as long as we don't forget. And uh, next episode, we will be doing Andy's suggestion of Jersey Gods. Uh, thank you for having us over on a Saturday morning, Andy. Anytime. Thank you for being here. Hooray! I am Luke, and we are out. Get out of my house. Work it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger. All that.